Good morning, Smithfield. I'll let it saute. Good morning. We today are going to be searching through our own hearts. This is going to be introspective for us today. And it started with an introspection that the Holy Spirit laid on my own heart. And the amount <laughs> we know, as Peter mentioned last Sunday, that persecution and attention from the devil only comes when we're paying attention to the Savior, right? So these shaky hands up here, hopefully the Lord will overshadow everything happening in here today. I will diminish and the Lord will increase because he is doing something today in the church. Whether we see it or not, he is doing something today. And I pray that we see it abundantly and fully. Recently, I have been challenged with a thought in my heart, I believe was put on me by the Holy Spirit. Convicted by an examination of my own life, and more specifically, what I am truly doing for the kingdom of God as a believer who seeks to be obedient and diligent. That is what we're called to be, is obedient and diligent to the task at hand. Can I, as a faithful, diligent, and obedient believer, look at my life, my actions, my behaviors, every step I take, and say with confidence that I am serving him to the best of my ability? Can anyone raise their hand and say, yes, I am serving to the best of my ability today? So where's the catch? Where's the hang-up here? We all know that our best, our perfection, comes when we reach heaven. But the goal is to be continually sanctified through the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to be sanctified into who we were always meant to be. That process of sanctification takes many, many years. But we all must walk that path. And walking that path of light is where we're headed today. Our passage, through our passage here in Ephesians, we're going to seek to answer a few questions. If you all will turn to Ephesians 5, it'll be the second half of verse 8 through 21. And we'll have a few questions we're going to answer through here. Am I walking as a child of the light? The light here being God, Jesus, the Trinity. He is light. Am I sleeping on the work God is doing to save me from sin? Because there is spiritual heart surgery that the Holy Spirit is doing in the heart of every believer today. To make them more like they were always meant to be. To make me like who I was always meant to be. Because of that awakening, am I conducting myself with wisdom and spiritual discipline to complete the task set before us? Because we do have a task. What is that call? What's the mission at hand? Am I truly being obedient to that mission? So we're going to explore that today through this chunk of Ephesians. If we honestly take a look around the evangelical Bible-believing congregations in America, what do we see? Do we see dormancy? Do we see complacency? Do we see exhaustion or maybe even apathy? Or do we see the Holy Spirit? Do we see revival? Do we see the salvation of the lost, the coming home of prodigal children? What do we see when we look across our nation? Today is a message of awakening, a message of soul repair, and a call to cast off any aspect of this world or any aspect of our sin 
that could stand in the way of the task at hand that keeps us rooted in one spot. Keeps us rooted in place from answering the call that we have been called to. We have a Savior and King who died to give us joy in that mission laid before us. We're going to talk a lot today about cleaning up our hearts and the task at hand and the work to be done, but there is joy in those processes. There is hope in the processes that God has laid out before us. We are God's children, and we are children of light. So, we're going to read through our focal passage today, Ephesians 5, second half of verse 8 through 21. Read here with me. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper. And arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray over this word today. Heavenly Father, empty our hearts and fill them with you. If we're believers in this room, we must diminish and you must increase. If we have not been saved in this room today, you are desperately seeking those hearts to come home. And join the process of becoming who we were always meant to be. Put these words in our hearts, in my heart, in a way that changes lives as only you can do. Be with us always as you always are. We pray these things in your blessed and holy name. Amen. To answer the mission laid before us, we have to determine our relationship with God, our reliance on him our diminishing of ourselves and raising of Christ, we have to determine if that is at a point where we can faithfully and effectively share the gospel. This is our first section here in the second half of 8 through 13. So if you look again here with me, we'll just read those, for those few verses. Walk as children of the light, for the light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. The mission, after all, that we have is to share the gospel. We were created to give glory to God. We messed that up by entering into sin. And now we have a whole salvation plan that only God could implement. And we're told to execute our part of the plan. That is the gospel call. That is our mission. The big question many of us have when reflecting on our lives and our behavior is how to know if what we are actively doing is reflecting that we are children of the light. 
How many times have you had a gospel conversation with somebody and walked away and said, man, I really hope they saw God in that conversation? Or maybe you have an act of kindness and you say, man, I really hope that person saw God there. Or maybe you have a conflict with a family member or a coworker, and you get through that resolution of that conflict and you're like, gee, I hope I handled that in the way God wanted me to. We question whether what we did was right to God sometimes. But luckily, he has provided every means for us to know. He's provided every means for us to follow in his footsteps. The first step we see here in Ephesians is to walk. Walk in the light. Is walking a passive activity? Is walking a dormant or a lazy activity? To walk is to have a goal, to have a direction, to have a mission. So to walk, what do you have to take the first of, right? Steps. To walk is a choice. And trust me, you have an enemy that is doing everything he can to glue your feet to the ground. He wants you to stay put and watch what he is doing and not take a step towards what God is doing. And I'll tell you right now that God is doing things more grand and more powerful and more incredible than Satan could ever dream. He wreaks havoc. God reaps life to his believers. We've already been given the mission to walk towards in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a reason to step forward. We have somewhere to go. I made the analogy the other day to Whitney. You know the old saying where you take the you have to take the toy away from the kid, but they don't understand that you have a great big bigger toy behind them, and they just think, man, I'm going to lose that toy, and I, I I can't handle that. I don't know what I'm going to do when I lose that toy, and they don't grasp that something better is coming. When God says, hey, you're called to this mission, you're called to walk, you're called to walk the life, and we say, yeah, but I'm awful comfy, and I don't I don't really trust that. My life is going to be better if I take off after you. If only we knew what was on the other side. If only we knew what the life could be walking each step in the light. If we could guarantee that vision in our brains, we wouldn't even hesitate. We would run to the king. Not just walk, run. But we're taking baby steps here today. To remain complacent is to reject that mission. And not follow where Jesus has already walked. We simply walk in his footsteps. This is not a path that is wilderness and brush and honey locust. All of you people who know what a honey locust is. This is not that path. Jesus has already walked it. And better yet, he's already completed the mission. He's already completed the task. Salvation is won. Death is crushed. He's saying, just follow me. So what then have we to fear when following the mission? Well, we can come up with a lot of things we're afraid of. But in Christ, all things are possible. Philippians 4.13. One of the first checkboxes then in this list is, are you walking? And we're not asking at this moment to be diving headlong if you're not able to do that right now. What we're asking is just take a step. Take a step one more step, one more step, and he gratifies and he grows. And he raises us up 
to where we are running and eventually we're flying towards him. But it starts with that step. If we're to walk as children of the light, how might that look according to scripture? You say, okay, Caleb, sure. Walk as children of the light. I don't know what a child of light walks like. If you're a non-believer or if you are a believer, you've seen other believers who walk as children of the light. I can go through a litany of Christians that I grew up under that I knew were walking as children of the light. So what were they doing? What characterizes a child of the light? Let's look at verse 9. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. The analogy here is fruits, and fruits happens and is, occurs as an analogy in several places in the Bible. But the use of fruit here is tangible evidence, real metrics of the fruit of light. In Scripture, we can almost see the fruits as results. The fruit of the Spirit is an outpouring in the Spirit, right? An outpouring of God's Spirit bubbling over into your real life. Here, the fruit is that of light, and you can tell a difference. We believe internally. We have faith internally. The Holy Spirit does holy surgery internally. But when we see fruit, see fruit the vine that the Holy Spirit is dressing, us starts to produce results, which is the fruit of God's life-changing work. He is the vine dresser. We are the vine. In order to produce fruit, the vine dresser has to start what? Pruning. Cutting away the bad parts so the new can grow. And he is desperately trying to do that for us. So what did that fruit may look like? Okay, well, then how do I know that? That would be walking, having behavior, and living in ways that are good and light and true. Seems pretty self-explanatory. Is it always that easy? God provides every means and the joy to walk in ways that are good and light and true. The ideas of good and bad fruit we see most clearly in Galatians 5, in the contrast of the fruits of the Spirit with the works of the flesh, right? Here in Ephesians, we're told that to know whether we are of light is to see the fruit. Let's read it again, just so we're clear. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Light here, remember, as we started out, light is Christ. Light is Jesus. Light is God. The fruit of the light, you could say the light, is found in all that is good and right and true. So shouldn't we not don everything that is good and right and true? The fruit then is compiled in all that is good and right and true. But what then is good and right and true? The fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5, 20 through 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, and y'all could say these with me, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. If we can truly see that light and goodness outweighs the works of the flesh in our life, darkness and sin, then we can have confidence that God has wrought those things out of a sinful life. For the revival of a soul 
to his glory and peace over time. I love that word rot. Rot is a metalworking term. Rot means to take a lump of whatever metal or rock or mineral you're working with, beat the snot out of it, and turn it into something useful or beautiful. Now, he might not be coming along and banging us with a metal hammer all day, every day, but I guarantee you he is shaping us. He is shaping that metal. He is shaping, he is the potter and we are the clay. And he is wringing, rotting that fruit out of our life if we are walking in his light and we are accepting that. To take a step is to invite the rot into your life. To take a step down the path of life. So then, we can know we are walking as children of the light. Now, this is a path. This takes work. And what happens if you're walking this way on a path? Is the path behind you disappearing as you walk forward? This ain't like Mario, where you go off the screen, you can't go back. No, you can turn right back around. And you can walk right back. You can veer off to the side. You can (laughs) rumble off one side and overcorrect into the other lane. There's all sorts of ways we can go on this path. It's not perfect. We're not perfect. He is. But we walk and we strive to walk forward on the path of light. But there will be setbacks. We know this. The second factor of this may be something that we struggle with greatly, and I certainly have. And it's such a simple verse. Verse 10. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We can get so confused and hung up on that and we can feel like sometimes it can be really difficult to know whether our choices are pleasing to the Lord we are told after all to try to discern in verse 10 we are trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord especially when those choices are large life decisions or conflicts that we second guess once they're resolved Whitney has taught me a lot in the fact of making a choice that has multiple doors She always tells me, well, Caleb, God might have all of these doors as good options. You just have to pick which one you feel is right. It's like, well, I don't know which one's going to please the Lord the most. If they're all good, how do I pick one? But it may be that that is the case. That as we walk forward in the path of light, there may be deviations and paths that are still good. We have to then try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. As a disclaimer, every word of Scripture lets us know what is pleasing to the Lord, as has been provided for that very means. It is profitable for correction, for reproof, for discipling, the whole nine yards. The Scripture lets us know what is pleasing to the Lord right here, right now. In this context, today we're going to look at Ephesians and look through our passage and see what does it say about what is pleasing to the Lord. In verses 11 through 13, we almost see a process of elimination here to determine what is then pleasing to the Lord. Look at 11 through 13. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. We are told not to take part of, what not to take part of, And what remains is certainly more right and good. This is how we walk as children of the light and cast off darkness here in Ephesians. 
There is a twofold instruction in that passage. We are to have no part in the works of darkness. Is there wiggle room here? Are there exceptions here? Absolutely not. There is no fruit in the works of the darkness. That's also the works of the flesh. In this way, we can say with confidence that if we live a life that is against these things, taking no part in the works of the flesh, we are certainly behaving in a way that is more pleasing to God. Now, what are the works of the flesh here? Let's run through these again. Just a few of them. I won't go through them all. Sexual immorality, sensuality, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, envy, drunkenness. What are you seeing more of? Are you in a fine balance where some days you do really good and some days you may not? Are you given over to more works of the flesh? Or do you feel confident that the fruit of the Spirit, by God's grace alone, is pouring out in your life more? Now we all, once again, this is a path. We deviate, we drop a tower off, and we pull back on. But if we're believers, he is striving to let that fruit of the Spirit massively outweigh whatever works of the flesh our sin is still trying to make us go towards. Are we trying to discern what is pleasing to do to the Lord? We start by casting off darkness and walking as children of the light. So how do we cast off darkness? The confession and repentance of these things that hold us down is the second half of the twofold instruction. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Is that saying have somebody else come along and expose them? No. Is that saying that they're just going to magically come to light without you having to do anything? No. But instead expose them. You expose them. You bring them to light. Confession, open and free, followed by repentance furthers our path of walking in the light and cast off the darkness of sin. And confession of sin might be the scariest command in all of Scripture before, at, right after trust God. Trust God's the scariest because that's big and broad. But right behind that is confess and expose the works of darkness in your life. Is there not shame? Every time one of those things come to light. Is there guilt over these things? We see that in verse 12. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. They, in this context, is not just the other people outside of the church. They is us too. We are they. There are things that we do that may seem minor in the moment, but if the right person knew about it, shame. Other people know about it, it's no big deal. But the one person you look up to, if they knew about it, oh no, it'd be game over. Shame. For those with a relationship with Christ, there absolutely should be shame and guilt over that. One thing that I've been talking about a lot here recently, for myself and for the others around me, is it's okay to feel bad. It's okay to feel that emotion Feel whatever you're feeling and let it out, but let it out to God. 
let it out to Christ. He's the only thing on the universe who can take what you're feeling at its full force, absorb it, and banish it. It's okay to feel bad in Christ's love. Now, if you go out spouting every, every hardship you feel to everybody around you, is that going to be a faithful witness to God? I'm going to go ahead and say no, it's probably not going to be. But when you are in the right circumstance and you're saying, my God, I am feeling this right now. I want it to go away and I'm not shying away from how I feel. I'm giving it to you because he's big enough to handle it. He's big enough to handle whatever you're feeling. You don't have to give him 20% of it and hope that he doesn't recognize the other 80. He can take it all. Let it out. Let it feel that. But only he will be able to actually do something about it. Only he will be able to take that. Because he wants us to walk in the light and he has hope right after this. But whenever, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. What a profound hope is there in that truth. Your sin in darkness, however bad or tragic or intense or uncomfortable it may be to confess it, when exposed, will become light. And that process will transform you away from the darkness through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a reason he follows up immediately with expose it, but whenever it's exposed, it will become light. He's right there. He is reaffirming that he is there to take it. And it becomes something that he can deal with. And he's desiring to deal with it. And all of this, let's tie this back to what we started with, right? All of this hard work to get rid of sin out of our lives by God's power alone is to answer the call of the gospel. It's to prepare a heart for service. You may be wondering, well, I never get those opportunities. And when I do, I mess them up. Or maybe I have great opportunities, but I don't see anything happening. Where is your heart first? Because we, we know that from the heart, whatever spews out of the heart defines what you are. So where is your heart in this moment? And if there is darkness, he is seeking to cut it out. I am a first-hand account of that same saving power. I've explained this a couple times. I'm going to run over it real quick again because somebody may not have heard it. But I had a life of habitual sin in my marriage for the first year or just under a year of it. And it ravaged my heart, the heart of my wife, and the heart of my God above all. Ravaged it. He mourned over what his son was doing. And this had been a long, long time doing it. Until eventually, and I remember describing this to Peter. It felt like I was being yanked by an ankle and pulled under a spotlight and started burning. And my soul wasn't burning. My sin was being burned off of me. God had had enough of his son fooling around and hurting his wife and his family and his church and him above all else. 
He was tired of it. And he said, you don't want this darkness to come to light? Because I'd never told anyone. I had never told a soul. And I thought, me and God will deal with it. Me and God will, me and God will get it done. Me and God will figure it out. I don't need to tell anybody. Me and God have got this. He says, no, it will not. You're going to have to atone for all the people that you've hurt. You think that your sin, maybe a sin spot in your life, you think is only hurting you. It's only bothering me. It's between me and God. And you want to take that pain because you may think you deserve it. I deserve it. I know I'm sinful. So I'm, I'm not going to tell anybody because nobody else needs to hurt with me. Nobody else needs to hurt with me. I'll, I'll, I'll just keep hurting myself. Me and God will figure it out. That's not how sin works. First off, you're hurting God. First off, you're hurting the creator who died to save you. Ultimately, it ain't about you. It's about how you've hurt God and how that bleeds into every faction of your life. And it will. That is darkness in this passage. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. You expose them. Maybe God will take you out of that. God is an infinite God. He can do whatever he wants. Maybe he will resolve that sin matter in your life. And nobody will know a soul. Not a soul else will know. And it will be healed and he will heal your heart and expose that darkness between you and him and you go on with your day. But that's not the command right here. The command is you expose them. Otherwise, he's going to drag you onto a spotlight and burn that sin off of you. Because he loves you. He's not punishing you for the fact of, well, I let him accumulate all this massive sin so it really hurts when I burn him. That's not what he's there for. That's not what he's doing. He said, I gave him all the chances and I'm tired of him hurting me. For a church to move outside of its walls, the heart of the ones taking a step outside the walls have to be in a condition that God can use. Because we are tools. We are individuals, yes, with lives and personalities. But when it comes to the mission work, we will diminish and God will raise. That is how we leave our walls. In strength, in God's strength. Just by making your sin visible, the process begins for restoration and revival in our souls. And God does incredible spiritual surgery through the Holy Spirit. You want to see revival in a church? Man, I can't tell you. Man, if we just had a good old revival again. We just had a revival. When you bring in an artist, we have a revival. All right, start in your own heart. Start the revival there. Start it in your prayer life. Start it in your broken relationships with family. Start it in a broken relationship with God. Let him revive that first. And then revival won't even be a second thought. Because our hearts will be where they should have been. And we're walking in the path of light. We see clearly then that this path of cutting sin out with spiritual surgery is discerned as pleasing to the Lord. So to answer our question, oh man, I don't know what's pleasing to the Lord. Cast out the sin from your life in confession and repentance. That is pleasing to the Lord and that is what he will use. And you can go by process of elimination. If you're cutting sin out of your life, what is he replacing it with? The fruit of the Spirit. 
He is growing that. The rotted part of the vine he has cut out and he has grafted in something maybe brand new that you didn't even know was possible in your own life. How many of you all grew up, got middle-aged or whatever, and discovered you had a new talent? Discovered you had a new something you were good at? And you were just blown away. You're like, I've lived my whole life and I didn't know I could do this. That's what the grafting of God is like. Maybe you aren't a public prayer. It just gives you anxiety and you can't do it. You can't do it. But you cut sin out of your life. You start that process of healing, of walking the path of light. And all of a sudden, he is filling you with prayer. Who knows what God will do when you cut it out? By his power alone. I will say that over and over and over. You cutting it out yourself. Listen, I tried to cut it out myself. And it did not happen. But when you finally expose it, feel it, cut it out to God, then he will make you whole. Because of this beautiful truth, Christ issues the call to wake up. This is verse 14. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You could make an entire series on that one verse. Awake, O sleeper. We do not slumber in our sin in relationship with the Holy Spirit. When you're saved, does your sin remain the same? Does your life remain the same? Were you walking in a path of darkness? You are saved and walking the path of light. Is he just going to let you start on the path of light at the starting line and just stand there? No. Once he has saved you, he is going to do his darndest to restore you as only he can. The Holy Spirit seeks to undo the sin of those he loves by any means necessary. And it starts by arising from the dead in spiritual salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is also a call to salvation for those who have not accepted Christ as their Savior and the Holy Spirit into their hearts. Awake, you are dead in your sins. You are asleep in your sins. Arise! Christ will shine on those who admit that they are a sinner, believe that Jesus has indeed come to save them, and expose those sins to the light in confession and seek his salvation. As a believer, we can certainly be called to wake up from spiritual slumber. The awakening is a call to cut out spiritual deadness in our lives by the same means. That's my first question. Am I sleeping on the work God is doing in my heart? Am I not acknowledging it? And I'll fill you in on a pop culture term for now. To say that you're sleeping on something means that you are ignoring something that's really good. So Whitney comes home and says, hey, man, there's this new restaurant. It is really good. I said, man, we've been sleeping on this restaurant. She's like, yeah, it's really good. Or sleeping on fill in the blank. We cannot be caught sleeping on what God is doing in our lives. We cannot be caught sleeping on what he is cutting out. Imagine waking up in the middle of the surgery. Does any of that happen to somebody else? Because he's going to proceed whether you're asleep or not. And imagine waking up and discovering that God is literally in your heart cutting things out. And you wake up to that. 
You're like, oh my gosh, God, this is scary. He says, yeah, I know, it's time. Wake up, oh sleeper. Wake up. Recurring sin. Habitual sin. Sins of omission. That is doing nothing when you should do something. Are all those we expose to the light. We wake up and feel the glorious light of Christ shine upon us. A lot of people think doing nothing is better than doing something bad. And a lot of the cases, you would be right. To do nothing is usually better than to do something bad. But is that any better than doing something good? No. To stay still, to stay passive, is to ignore the call. And what's God going to do if you decide to remain passive in your walk with Christ? He's going to throw every single opportunity he has to share the gospel with you and for you to share the gospel with somebody else, and he's going to watch you let him go. Until eventually we get the picture. Eventually we stop and we trust God and say, listen, you've been throwing opportunity after opportunity at me. I'm going to take this one. I'm scared. I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm going to take it. And I just trust you that you put in there for a reason. And we stop letting the opportunities pass. And that seizing of that opportunity is the step forward. It's walking. You have started the walk. And eventually you'll fly towards Christ. We are not children of darkness under Christ. No more. We wake up. We walk we cast down sin and confession and then bask in his glorious light. You say, Caleb, this sounds awful hard stuff. This sounds like, this sounds like stuff that's going to make me sad. It might. But what do we see? But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And look again. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is not just like the idea of a spotlight being shown on you, and that's all you feel is a spotlight. The shining of God, to coin Peter's phrase, is a hundred gallons of liquid love being poured all over you. That's what shine, the shine of God feels like. It's not, oh, so my reward is a spotlight on the back of my head, and I just know that's God. No, that is not the goal. The goal is to feel the peace and the love and the grace and the joy. Above all else, we forget that it is possible for the Lord to be proud of us. We think, oh, we're so proud of God. We're bugs. How could God be proud of us? He says, you do my word. You follow my commands. You listen to me. And I will be proud of you. Have you ever felt God smile on you in pride? Righteous, just pride, not pride like man tends to have. It feels undescribable. And it's always when you least expect it. But you can feel that shine upon you. So let's go back and let's recap some of our questions so far. Am I walking as a child of the light? We saw how casting off darkness and clinging to the fruit of the Spirit will lead us to walking the path of light. If we do this diligently, then we can say that we are walking, yes, the path of light. Am I sleeping on the work God is doing to save me from sin? If we have relationship with the Holy Spirit, 
then he is rapidly trying to cast sin out of our lives and either wake us up to a spiritual salvation or out of spiritual dormancy before the work at hand. We simply confess that sin and let it become light. We're going to get to our second section now. This is verses 15 through 21. So we're going to read through these again. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to look like. We're not idle. We're moving. And better yet, we're building one another up. To be a Christian is not to be an island. It feels like an island sometimes. I feel like an island in my workplace. One guy who wears Christian shirts and doesn't cuss and gets called out for it all the time. I feel like an island. But then I could come here. And I could see that there are other believers who probably feel like an island. I can look across this globe at other countries that are shaming the American church in the work they're doing. Not that what we're doing is bad, but they, they, they got it going in some of these other countries where the gospel is flying across the nation. Can those bodies of believers give me hope? Absolutely. I am not an island. You are not an island. Verse 15 and 16 are so vital for our churches in this moment and for all time. Look at verse 15 and 16 again. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The time of this writing, when Paul was writing it, was just as evil. People were just as unwise. Loads of people love to look at our world and say, man, our world is worse than it has ever been. No, it's not. It is horrid. It is tragic. It is abominable. But it is nothing the world hasn't seen before. And it is nothing that the world isn't going to see 20 years from now. And above all else, it is nothing God can't handle. It is nothing that God isn't in control of. He controlled Paul's time. He controls our time. He controls everything. There's nothing that comes out from under his thumb. Yes, our world is tragic and it brings us anxiety and sadness. But Paul faced the same anxiety and sadness. In fact, he caused it. He was the terrorist to the evangelical church. He was the one causing harm. Come into a faithful, saving relationship with Christ. Do you not think that guilt ate him up for a while? Now, we know the nature of Paul. He surrendered that to Christ. But the times are no less evil. God is still God. Foolishness does not coexist with the will of the Lord. It cannot. So what then is the will of the Lord? What is his mission? 
The will of the Lord is the mission that he has laid before us, the salvation of the lost. His gospel, his good news spread to all people groups, ta ethne in the Greek, all people groups. We were created to give him glory. We were created to worship him. Sin entered the world and now we're in a recovery. And we're created to share that recovery to everyone. The entire reason Jesus was sent to live, die, and be resurrected was to give salvation to the lost. To ignore that call is to ignore the whole reason Jesus was resurrected. Our call is to be filled with the Spirit in the same manner of casting off darkness we've described earlier. Fill with the Spirit by casting off and exposing darkness. We cannot fill our lives with anything else, wine or any other vice that takes priority over the Holy Spirit. That is idol worship. A lot of what I see, and it, it ends up happening to me, we idolize our time. We idolize our time more than just about anything. I've learned that people don't really care about how much money they make. They care about how much vacation time they have. Time is more important to a lot of people. And to drag something away from what they should be doing, what they think they should be doing with their time, can be like pulling teeth. And that's just one example. But who does time belong to? Who do our lives belong to? Your time was not yours to do whatever you want with. You can. You can do whatever you want with your time. But it doesn't belong to you to do that with. Time is God's. Our lives are God's. And anything that prioritizes our time over that is idol worship. Here, though, in verse 19 to 21, we get an exhortation. We get a support. We get a boost of serotonin right into the darkness. We get revival, real revival. The call to fellowship and exhortation, the building up of the church by those with a common love of and a relationship with Christ. Let's look at this again, 19 through 21. But be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Christ Jesus, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He flips the switch so quickly. Don't be foolish. Cast out sin. We have work to do. But guess what? Why do you think we gather as believers? We're not islands. And what God is doing in your life, He is using to change your life. And the fellowship that you share with this person, you both can share with that person. It is community. Through Christ alone. Everyone knows humans are social people. As introverted as we may be, how much time we like to ourselves. A lot of people say, oh, I hate people. No, you don't. You hate what people have done to you. You don't hate people. We are social creatures. We are social creatures. Why? Because when we gather, we are created to worship the king. What did Adam and Eve do before sin entered the world? They walked and they talked and they worshipped with God. That was their function. And the command was to fill the earth. And if sin hadn't entered the world, you'd have had an entire globe of people 
perfect worshiping God. We're wired that way to worship. That was actually a crossings theme years ago, wired for worship. That was a big theme that we learned about a long time ago. Verse 19 is so clear that the worship of God is essential to the church. And it's essential to building one another up in the church. We address one another in song. How beautiful is that picture? Above all else, we give thanks to God for all that he is. We submit to one another's needs in spiritual humility. That's not we bum off of other people and ask them the moment something comes up. That means you might sacrifice an hour of your time to disciple a friend. So just have a conversation with a friend. You're supposed to go on a date night, but a buddy calls you up and say, hey man, I really need to talk. I need to talk about God. I'm hurting. And you say, man, I got a, I got a date though. Like, I, I can't. I got a date. Hopefully you have a partner that would encourage you, hey, go be with that friend. But it might call you to sacrifice that time. Or mission projects. That's the easiest thing for us to sacrifice a lot of times because it's far away. It helps the people that we think are less off than us. We can go do that. We can go do that. What about your neighbor whom you don't like, had a tree fall on his house. He doesn't have money to pay anybody to come take it off his house. You have a chainsaw. Man, that, that, that's, just, that's just too bad for him. Dang. Sacrifice time. Go minister, even if it's just letting the guy borrow your chainsaw or doing it with him. We submit to one another's needs in spiritual humility. The question we asked at the start was, because of this awakening in my heart, am I conducting myself with wisdom and spiritual discipline? We have limited time here in our short lives. And for a believer, every second needs to be spent in a mindset of Christ first and his kingdom first. To prioritize the work of the Lord, not just in our own hearts, as the Holy Spirit provides vital spiritual surgery, but also his church at large in conducting ourselves with wisdom and discipline. We seek the wisdom and guidance of others as well as we all walk the path of light. No one grew up from a child to adult without an adult. Period. We are responsible to passing on our wisdom and experience. That is what we do. So how does this apply? What is the goal? If we ask out loud among this congregation who could relate to this passage, I imagine there would be several hands, myself included. We seek to live lives pleasing to the Lord, and we often don't understand why it can be so hard to see that will. He wishes us whole to reach the nations. So maybe today you felt dry in your faith, stagnant or stale. You love God, you know God, he knows you, but you don't feel like you're going anywhere. Maybe you felt like God isn't rewarding your faithfulness and diligence. God, I have sacrificed. I've done all the stuff. I've been to church. Why don't I feel you? Maybe just hearing from him at all is hard. Seeking his will, what is pleasing to him, is difficult. The message God has in my heart and for all of us is to ask, are you asleep to the changes God is bringing about in your life? As a non-believer, he is desperately and rapidly seeking to cast sin out of your life. Sorry, as a believer, 
He is desperately seeking to cast sin out of your life. And he will eventually do it by any means necessary. It could take two years. It could take two days. It could take 20 years. He will cut it out. As a non-believer, he's desperately and rapidly seeking your return home. Are you walking as a child of the light, casting off darkness? Are you confessing sin openly and freely and come the consequences? Because turning that darkness into light is worth it. Is your heart prepared to thank the Lord for all he is and all he's done by serving as we were designed? If you haven't experienced a relationship with Christ, are you tired of being swallowed by darkness? For all of us, there may be circumstances that feel very dark and not of light. Cast that mind to the king, and he will be gracious to grant that request for peace and goodness. Our last section, and I will promise I'll wrap up. I'll stood on the soapbox a little long, but we're going to wrap up here. Let's turn our eyes now to the greatest commandment we have been given as believers. Matthew 28, 18-20. The Great Commission. We're going to read this together. If you all would, if Michael, if you bring that up, and you can read it off the screen here or read it in your Bibles. I like reading it off the page. Let's read this together. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is the goal of the Christian life? What is the mission? That's it. That's self-explanatory. That needs no expounding, although you could expound for hours and hours. The whole purpose of cleansing hearts, the whole reason we must wake up and cast off darkness, we are responsible to take this with our own feet and our own mouths to all they may hear. Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We have no time to waste and we must be wise. We must be diligent and seek God's growth. And trust me, I'll say this last thing. If you are struggling to take the step and walk, Maybe you've already walked a long way and got tired. If you're struggling to take that next step and walk, if you just trust that the shine of God will pour over you, you will never be disappointed. He is waiting for you right now to take the step. If you're a non-believer, taking the step to salvation. If you're a believer... And maybe you've been living your life the way we are designed. Praise the Lord. Keep doing what you're doing. We need people like that. We're all supposed to end up like that. But if you're in a a state of spiritual dormancy, wake up, O sleeper. Christ is there with his hand outstretched. And he said, are you ready to fly? Are you ready to fly? Let's go. And we love our God for the opportunity to do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you more than anything. Nothing exists outside of you. Nothing exists that you have not granted. Our lives, time itself, 
Everything is yours and belongs to you. Everything belongs to you. Lord, I pray that we as believers are grateful beyond measure that we even have the opportunity to share the gospel. I pray that nothing we idolize stands in the way of what you would have us do. I pray that we can confess what is holding us back openly and freely. I pray that we can cut the darkness out. I pray that we let you cut the darkness out. For only you can. We are yours. Let us never forget that. We love you and we pray all these things in your blessed and holy name. Amen.